Hello there, and a very warm welcome to the ninth edition of the Glasgow Motorway Archive podcast. Ninth edition? Who can believe that? So it's John and Stuart here with you as always. I mean, you must know us inside out by now. Uh, so Stuart, hello. Good evening, John. How are you? I am absolutely fine. Are you feeling a bit better than you were the last time we recorded Fe- one of these? Feeling a lot better. 100%. Good. I am delighted to hear that. <laughs> so you don't need to edit out any coughs this time. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> so, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go over what we're going to talk about this week. Got a few few things to, to cover. Um, but before we do that, we just want to say we continue to be blown away by the amount of people who actually enjoy the podcast oh, yeah. who are listening to it. I mean, it's who would have thought hundreds of people, hundreds, hundreds of people, hundreds of people yeah. want to learn about the Glasgow <laughs> Motorway Archive system. I can think of two. Me and you, yeah, you yeah, well, there's two of us definitely. So um, <laughs> it's there. It's on you know iTunes and these kind of things. So we're reaching a larger audience all the time. Definitely, definitely are. Yeah, and iTunes has been the biggest proportion of the, the downloads so far. That's what most people have. Yeah, that's it. Yep. So there we go. I need to get iTunes myself. That is something. So um, I'm going to cover what we're going to discuss today. So we we have spoken about lots of different routes, and it's returning to normal service this week. We had a special edition uh, last time speaking to Bryn down in Blackburn, but we're back home in the Glasgow Motorway Archive office. So we're going to be talking about the western parts of the M8. We have spoken about the inner ring road before. So that includes the sections of the Renfrew Motorway, the Renfrew Bypass and the Bishopton Bypass. So really it's that section from what is currently Junction 20 all the way through to Junction 31. Yeah, so, so. basically Kingston Bridge until where it becomes E. is that right? West Ferry. Yeah. West Ferry. West Ferry, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it. The western extremity of mm-hmm. the M8. Yeah. Um, you might not remember, but in the podcast before the one we just done, uh, we had something called From the Archive. So that's going to be returning this week. Um, and what it really is is a bit of a sneak preview on a document or publication that we've got here in a physical copy that we've just not had a, sh- a chance to share on the website or on social media. Yeah. So um, I'm going to leave that as a surprise. And Stuart is going to cover that for you. All will be revealed. All will be revealed. After that, as usual, we do have some questions that people have put in. Um, some tech technical ones there hopefully we've got the answers they need yeah there's been a bit of research done on that so i'm looking forward to those excellent and after that we'll talk a little bit about very briefly you know about what's coming up in the archive yeah. uh, and things things we're working on yeah so i think we better get down to business yeah let's get straight to it john so tell me what you want to discuss about the western sections of the m8 okay well like i said before we start we'll go from East to west. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start at Junction 20, okay. uh, which is the beginning of the Renfrew motorway. Yeah, now not a lot of people will know these names. No, we you hear this all the time. We go on about Monkland motorway, we yep. in a ring road, um, you know, Mary Hill motorway, one that wasn't built. We talk about Renfrew motorway, which is different from the Renfrew bypass. So the Renfrew motorway actually opened in two stages in 1976, and it runs from what is Junction 20, just south of the Kingston Bridge, all the way up to Hillington which is Junction 26. Yeah. So two stages there. That's right. Um, what is interesting, and we will cover this, is the Renfrew Bypass was actually built first. So this is the section that goes from Junction 26 out all the way to Junction, kind of just prior to Junction 30. The bit past the airport. So this crucial section nearer the centre of town actually came later. Yeah. Um, and it starts off in style, doesn't it, Stuart? We've got the massive plantation interchange. Yes, we do. The, the massively wide... Uh, quad carriageways yeah. um, of Tradeston, um, mm-hmm. first outlined in the highway plan, designed mm-hmm. by John Cullen himself, 
designed to take the many thousands of vehicles every day that were anticipated to use that section. Absolutely. I suppose you were going to have three motorways merging in the space of, what, a mile? Yeah. So you were going to have the M77, or the mm-hmm. air motorway, as, as they called it, mm-hmm. the south flank of the inner ring road, which yes. is now kind of the M74. Yes. And the west flank of the inner ring road, which is the mm. M8 coming off the Kingston Bridge. Which is kind of the state today. We've got M8, yeah. M77, M74 all meet in this in this section. Yeah, you know? that's right. Uh, kind of beyond that, we've got the sections that go past kind of Ibrooks and also uh, Govan and yep. these places. And Hill through, Street, yep. And, up to, and it's kind of, uh, the, the road has been widened in, in recent years. I mean, the, the quad carriageway sections did gain an additional lane when yep. the M74 was put in in yep. 2011. Uh, we've got an extra lane now running beneath Junction 24. Yeah, that's well. right. And uh, just, maybe just some facts and figures in this section. I mean, the section that we're discussing now, what was called the Renfrew Motorway, as you said, was uh, was was put out as two separate contracts. Mm-hmm. Now this contract was entirely within the Glasgow Corporation boundary, so mm-hmm. it was taken forward as a corporation scheme. It was within the highway plan, and uh, it was split into two, as I said, just to make it easier to build. Yeah. Uh, stage one, which ran from the Kingston Bridge to Helen Street, was designed mm-hmm. by uh, Scott Wilson Kirkpatrick, mm-hmm. who obviously designed the highway plan. In a ring uh, road, yeah, yep. and uh, it was built by Balfour Beatty. They had a, a long-standing partnership. Um, on various um, Glasgow motorway projects. Uh, and then stage two from Helen Street to the edge of the Renfrew Bypass at Hillington was designed by Fairhurst, so the other major consultant who was involved in the Glasgow schemes and mm-hmm. constructed by a contractor called Leonard Fairclough, right. um, who are no longer in existence. I'm not quite sure what happened to them, actually. I know there was some, I know they were involved in one or two schemes in, in England. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what happened to them after that. But well, that, contractors come and go. It's yeah. probably something we should look into. Yeah, you know? absolutely, yeah. So that, that's your kind of first section. Many structures. Um, obviously, a connection with the Clyde Tunnel Expressway, mm-hmm. um, which was built before the motorway, almost 10 years yes. before the motorway. So 1969, that section opened to, you know, between the Clyde Tunnel and uh, what we now know at Berry Nows Road, mm-hmm. um, where the M8 passes under. So that was all built in advance. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit of a crucial connection there. And that's and, that ties in at uh, Junction 25. That's which right. Is Cardonald, yeah. At Cardonald, um, And then obviously proceeds out there to the Hillington Interchange, um, where it was also supposed to intersect mm-hmm. with the South Link motorway, yeah. um, which is obviously unbuilt, mm-hmm. um, which would have connected from the Air Motorway M77 mm-hmm. at Dumbreck to Cardonald. Yeah, and you can see this. So if you're travelling westbound on the M8 and you get to Junction 25 where people are joining from the Clyde Tunnel, it's very wide in there Yeah, because another motorway was meant to tie in there. That's right, yeah. You can see the, the extra width in the slip roads. You can see the fact that there's four lanes approaching Brayhead. Now, mm-hmm. that, that worked out very well for Brayhead when it was built it because you had the yeah. additional capacity there. But initially that was intended for the uh, for the South Link motorway and also for the Erskine Expressway, mm-hmm. which was supposed to come off of there and use the slips that are currently which used is by Brayhead. Yeah, that's junk. I mean, Junction 25A was added after yeah. uh, the Renfrew motorway opened. I, th- I believe it was like 1998, 1999? 1998, I believe, yeah. Um, just around about that sort of time. Which was in advance of the Brayhead Shopping Centre opening. That's right. Um, and that goes on the alignment that would have been another high-quality road going off to Erskine, which yes. is the Erskine indeed, indeed. So they used that alignment going on. There's a railway line that's in there as well. That's right. Now, yep. now jumping back to the other end, jumping back to the Kingston end, John mm-hmm. Cullen, you were there the evening that we discussed this with John Cullen about why the felt that quad carriageways were a better solution than, say, a very wide 
dual five, dual, five, dual six, like uh, carriageway or motorway. Yes. Um, and the simple answer for that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, was that they wanted to reduce uh, reduce issues from weaving potential mm-hmm. uh, and just keep the traffic flowing as, as well as possible. And that that practice came from America. Yeah. That, that quad carriageways are common in America yeah, or yeah. are in use in America. They, they do, and they're often. Uh, We'll, we'll t- I just want to kind of clear up some of the terminology we're using here. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about quad carriageways, and these are the kind of uh, collector distributor systems that you often see that kind of, so you're not getting all this traffic kind of some coming on, merging, some coming off, diverging. And that's what, when we talk about weaving, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, literally. Yeah, sometimes you know. I forget that you know some <laughs> listeners may be interested, but they don't necessarily know the no. terminology. So yeah, it, it, that, that's basically the yeah basically the point of it. Um, should we tell our listeners the very uh, well known story about how the quad carriageways came into existence and why they were built at the at the same I, time? I I, th- I think so because if you look at the scale of it, mm-hmm. it must have cost a bit of money. It did. How it did. did. How did they manage that? Well, basically at the time. Um, the intention was they were going to build the M8 section. Mm-hmm. And so that was the two inner carriageways. Um, and the land acquisition would be wide enough so that the outside carriageways for the south flank of the inner ring road could be added later on. So within the five, ten years, that was intended to be constructed. Mm-hmm. But one day, the corporation got a phone call from the Scottish office in Edinburgh uh-huh. um, to say, we've got a spare £11 million. Pounds. Mm-hmm. Could you spend it? Oh, yes. Um, Glasgow <laughs> says... We can spend it, no problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, Edinburgh Edinburgh Corporation can't spend their money. Mm-hmm. They can't get their ring road built because there's a lot of protest. Um, yep. So we've got this money here in the fan- the financial year. Can you spend it? And can you spend it quickly? So the corporation, without even considering it, said yes. And then went straight on the phone to Scott Wilson, and said, "We've got a spare of eleven million. What can we do?" And John Collins sat down and they, they looked at the various schemes and things that were sitting ready and able to go ahead. Mm-hmm. And they decided, well, you know what we could do is we could just build the outer carriageways for this now. Yeah. Um, now, there was a bit of kickback in that because we've heard that people were concerned that and that it could lead to a lot of empty carriageway or carriageways not being used. So yeah, they In came- a way, that was the case yeah. because uh, we, we remember something that the M77, mm-hmm. and this is a road I think we discussed on one of our very early podcasts, yep. is that the section that goes from Plantation down to Dunbreck yep. wasn't actually built until 1981. This was a Dunbreck road connection. So there actually was five years where these kind of outer carriageways That's weren't right. really... And, and, and we've heard that obviously they, they came up with a solution that allowed it to be used. So they added an off-ramp on the mm-hmm. eastbound side and they added an on-ramp on the westbound side and that that's stayed in place until the M74 opened in 2011. Yeah. Um, but we've, we've heard stories from people who worked at Strathclyde Region that they considered using it as a car park and various things yeah. and bus parks and, and, and all sorts of things before they ultimately decided, no, let's just open a slip road and, and connect it to Keep something it so road. all this yeah. dead space isn't going underutilised or whatever. So that's a be interesting fact for, yeah. for and people. What, what, what things have changed with this road since it's opened? I mean, we've obviously, the, the M74 came along yeah, and the quad carriageways were widened. That's right. So there, was, got, there was some additional uh, lanes added for the M74 traffic coming on. So there was an, an extra lane westbound. Yeah. Eastbound, I don't think there was really many changes except where the M77 merges with that. So you've got two yeah. lanes coming down and then two lanes coming off and all... Yeah. all Merges very quickly. <laughs> we, we did get something kind of cool. Uh, we got the Seaward Street Loop. Well, we did. You know, yes. that was actually built in advance, I believe. I think that this was, was 2008. Yeah, that, uh, was, that was built in advance to allow for people coming from the northbound M77 who wanted to go westbound on the M8 to save them using the surface street network through Dunbreck. 
Yeah. Uh, it's a very residential area, and people were understandably mm-hmm. not happy that thousands or tens of thousands of vehicles were thundering along that road I every day. The thing is with this, people still do that. And yeah. you've the funny thing is, even though that the M8 westbound is signposted from the gantry as yeah. in go and plantation, use the loop, you've even seen signs that say use the loop. Yeah, some encouragement for people to do it. <laughs> now, again, people often ask us, why can't I go westbound from the M77 to the M8? Well, the simple fact is the South Link motorway was intended to to provide that, provide that yeah, connection yeah. and it was never built it was controversial because it was going to cut through uh, the, the south side of Bell Houston Park where the most Park Boulevard mm-hmm. is so it was kind of controversial from the outset it was initially downgraded to, to a dual carriageway and then eventually I think quietly dropped when, when Strathclyde Region came into existence so that's why that's never happened Yeah. Um, so, so that kind of that, kind of highlights all the main points the main on, points on of section. it we've already covered um further along i mean we, we've spoken about the brayhead yeah you have linked there there's not really been too many changes no. it has the usual hallmark glasgow motorway features as high mass line yeah has glasgow gantries it does indeed uh on those things there but w- there is a quite just before we move on to renfrew bypass renfrew motorway seems like it's intrinsic in a link why was it built later what was the delay why well, wasn't it built earlier it simply comes down to funding and, and yeah. the money that was available, and then things like the, the economic crisis of the early seventies and the oil crisis. I mean, it ne- very nearly didn't get built. It, in well, some ways, it, it, the, the, the contract we know was very almost postponed um, yeah. because of the oil crisis and a moratorium on civil engineering yeah. uh, projects in the country at that time—a temporary moratorium. But it made it, it scraped through, um, and, and thankfully it was built. As, okay. You know, as quickly as it could be. But yeah, it came a bit later as a result, but then it still wasn't as late as the Monkhood motorway. No, um, I know, which was, you, you, know, you know, the last section is that 1980. Yeah, I mean, the initial target was to complete the motorway from Hillington to Bailston by 1975. Ultimately, mm-hmm. it didn't happen until 1980. 1976 for the Renfrew motorway, so a year behind. So, yeah, funding constraints had a, a definite impact in progress. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about in the Renfrew no, motorway, th- or should we move on to good, Renfrew yeah, bypass? Yeah, good time to move on to the Renfrew bypass, which was actually the first urban um, section of motorway to open in Glasgow when mm-hmm. it opened in March 1968. It That's beat right. the town head interchange by one month yeah. to become <laughs> the first sort of urban section of motorway to open in Glasgow, the first section of M8 to open yes. in Glasgow. And we're getting further out now, aren't we? Yeah. Because so this section actually isn't part of the highway plan. No, it's not. It was a, it was you know? uh, devised separately by Renfrewshire Council, mm-hmm. uh, Renfrewshire County Council, sorry, and uh, the Scottish Office Direct. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, it was out with the corporation boundary, so it was sort of a devised the way that other schemes were out with the corporation. But they area. knew of the highway plan. They knew how oh, yeah. it was going to play. John Collin had regular discussions with the sort of a county surveyor and the highways guys at Renfrewshire County quite mm-hmm. a lot to, to ensure that what they were drawing up was going to meet that road you know they weren't all working independently of one another completely you know so there was some there was some um, connection um okay so you get that nice clean connection between uh, the, the the renfrew bypass and the renfrew motorway at hillington yeah. which obviously it's temporary terminus was, was terminus was straight onto the e8 yeah. for years at peasel road west yeah you know okay yeah. well i think what we'll do is we'll talk a little bit about the profile of the route going mm-hmm. from yeah, east yeah. to west yeah. so we're starting at junction 26 Okay, and we've got a dual three-lane motorway here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, well, what this does, I mean, it continues down it, so it goes past. It's this very straight section, Yes. Uh, which we'll talk about. Indeed. We've got Junction 27, which is Renfrew Road, or as the traffic reports always report, Arkelston. Yeah, I um, think it was Arkelston originally, yeah. Arkelston, then Renfrew Road. I think we have it down as Renfrew Road, but we? we're not going to get oh. into a big... Oh, my. <laughs> we're going to get into a huge debate about this one yes. uh, but what we'll do is we'll move on <laughs> we've got the white cart viaduct structure yes. and then we've got quite a lot of junctures quite close together here I mean we've got a Glasgow airport mm-hmm. we've got the off ramps to the A737 at St James 
Yes, um, the, the Kim Lita, yeah. The actual yep. St. James interchange, yep. and then it gets rural. The lights go out exactly. uh, as yeah. you head west um, towards Junction 30, Creighton. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so that's the kind of route profile that we've got there. Um, so this section, this very straight section, we always get asked about this, and lots of people seem to know about this. I've done a post recently about the old uh, Renfrew Airport runway. Yeah. So um, this very straight section was actually built on the same alignment. It wasn't directly on top of the runway. It was in the same area. It was yeah. in the same area. I mean, it was shifted over slightly, Ever south- so slightly. Yeah. southwards. See, basically what was happening was with the airplanes getting larger and bigger and, and the Scottish Office or Scottish Development Department looking for a, for a, a slightly bigger airport for Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the corporation was involved in Glasgow Airport because they owned, you know, initially as well, they had ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, of, of the airport um, they decided that they would move it out to the airfield at Abbott Sinch because it yes. offered that they could put a longer runway in and, and various things mm-hmm. so around that time the uh, design work was ongoing route selection for the M8 mm-hmm. and there had always been an issue with the upgraded A8 at that point because they were constrained by you know going through Renfrew and whatever that's right and the yeah. kind of swing bridge in those that's things, right yeah. so allowing by moving the airport they opened up that vast area of land mm-hmm. um, to the south of Renfrew and to the north of Paisley uh, and that worked in the, the, the sort of traffic designer's um, favour yeah. because they were able to route the M8 through mm-hmm. there okay. um, and, and provide a good route for that. So the airport moved and opened in May 1966. Um, construction started in the Renfrew Bypass in November 1965. Yeah. Now, we had, we've had a lot of conversations recently with Barry Old, who was one of the engineers who worked in the project. Mm-hmm. He if, worked in the kind of earlier to mid-stages, That's right, he? yeah. He yeah. was there until 1967. Um, and what he mm-hmm. says is that they, they weren't allowed access to the airport area until obviously after it closed. So mm-hmm. work progressed on other parts of the contract um, until May 1966. Uh, mm-hmm. And at that point, they were able to take ownership of the, the, the old land of the airport as well yeah. and, and make and make progress on that. Now, anybody who's not seen our Renfrew Bypass page, I really recommend it because there is a section on there from Barry Old um, where he types up his personal recollections of the project yeah. and he covers it in some detail. It's a good thing to see. He's got some photos of old structures and landscapes that yeah. are not there anymore. That's right. You know? yeah. So if you like, if even you know you're into things that are before the motorway, it's a good thing to check out. It is. Um, mm-hmm. Now, just to give you some uh, the usual facts and figures on on, on this project. Go for um, it. It was um, it was designed by Crouch and Hogg, the the consultant um, who are no longer in existence either, no. um, and it was built by two contractors. There were two stages. There was Peter Linden Company, mm-hmm. who Barry Old worked for. And there was also Marples Ridgeway. Yeah, Marples Ridgeway. Sorry, just, <laughs> just double, double checking, checking my There's facts. So many contractors. We don't want to get it wrong. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so they were the two contractors who were involved in that. The site offices were at the uh, sort of uh, western end of the mm-hmm. project, round about the sort of uh, the Black. I was going to say Black Friars. Mm-hmm. Is it Black Friars? Um, I believe it might be. Yeah, yeah, round right, right about yeah. there. And there was other offices where the old Renfrew Fire Station used to be as well, which yeah. is where the Renfrew Road Overbridge is now yeah. at the junction at 27. So there was mm-hmm. some in there as well. And it was a it was a project that was one of the earliest projects to kick off. I mean, at that time in the West, we only had construction of the M74 Hamilton Bypass, uh, Townhead, in, Townhead Interchange and the Renfrew Bypass under construction. You know, so it was very early on. Mm-hmm. Um I suppose the most striking feature of that section has yes. to be the white cart viaduct. I wanted to talk about this. Uh, yeah. I mean, it is a big structure. Loads of people use it. Very, very busy. I think the longest viaduct in Scotland for roads. Oh, does, it, be, think does so. it beat Friarton? I I think it beats. It might beat Friarton. 
I mean, white cart is I think eight hundred meters. Yeah, I mean you meters. you know I mean you've worked with with white cart yourself, but yep. um, you we can we can have an argument about this off air. Uh, we can and have, have a look. At <laughs> it's this. something we could check, and if anybody does know one or the other that's that's longer yeah. than it, it's certainly longer than Woodside. Mm. It's longer than Scotland Street, and it's longer than most of the other ones. I think even longer than the Kingston Approach roads mm-hmm. as well. Um, whether it's longer than Friarton, I don't know because I'm not Friarton's too familiar for that. It is. Yeah, no, that's. It's outside the Glasgow area. It's one of these classic things. You don't really get the scale of it when you're driving over it. But if you're underneath the roads, especially kind of the western side of the viaduct, you know where the airport is? Yeah. And the roads you can take to go up towards Inchinnan and Renfrew? Yeah. You get a scale of the structure down right. there. I mean, it's massive. Yeah. It, it goes over <laughs> a lot of land as well. It does. As well. I mean, initially there was basically nothing under there. Mm-hmm. There was a sewage treatment works. Um, and there was a railway, and that was about it. That, there was, yeah, that's right. There was a railway, and if you look at, I think it's the eastern side of it. Yeah. you can you can see the old alignment for that. That's right. What, why is it built so high? Well, it was it was built at that height. Would you believe <laughs> because of the Paisley Harbour? And there was a shipyard at Paisley that was still operational at the time, and they demanded that clearance be retained so that they could get the ships and whatever they were building there in and out of Paisley, as is typical in Scottish road construction. <laughs> By the time the motorway opened in March 1968, the harbour had gone into administration, <laughs> so, the shipyard was gone, and we were left with this high-level structure. Now, yeah. I mean, that seems mad. I, they could have built the motorway could have gone through there almost at ground level. Yeah. You know, and, and this is what makes it so challenging to upgrade. Now. Right. I mean, I know lots of you, you know, must sit on that as I do Every in the day. morning going eastbound when you come on yeah. from the ramps and the 737. The queues are huge. It needs an extra lane. Yeah, and there's just nothing you can do about yeah, it. Winding you know. viaduct is difficult. And as yeah. you know, Stuart, you'll know this better than I do, but there's a lot of work that's had to happen with White Cat. Oh, viaduct yeah, White Cat viaduct was, uh, strengthening. was, was strengthened. Um, it was upgraded and refurbished um, through most of the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and there was a lot of money spent on it bringing it up to standard and it's in really good condition now and then there's some further works planned as well minor works but it, it does it does its job very well um, it does it's, it's an impressive, the drainage yeah it's an impressive big structure yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's an impressive big structure um, and believe it or not the cost of that initial Renfrew bypass project was only £5 million yeah. now even today that's only working out at just under £90 million. Mm-hmm. So it's still cheap, you know, in terms of what it is. And it's six miles long, so it's not a bad amount of money for, for what for, it is. For what, for what you got. Yeah. got to remember the pro- property acquisition costs back then, much lower than what of you course, have and, now. And, and at that time, most of that route was rural. Yes. You know, there was nothing. You have the challenges. It's not like now where you've got things all round about, you know. It wasn't objected to massively. No. But um, anyway, we'll move on because the junctions come thick and fast here. Yeah. I mean, we've got the airport junction. Uh, which ties in with with Glasgow Airport. Yeah, it's not too bad. Okay, um, and we've got St James, the big one, the big one. So when St James opened, it was just a roundabout interchange. That yes, provided it was. Yeah. you know access into Baisley, and you also had the Barnsford Road. That's right. Come nineteen ninety three, yeah, I believe it was. Uh, the big ramps got added in there. They did. And this was, you know, what, what was the driving force behind it? It was because of the car factories um, and also the kind of retail developments that were coming. What, the, the dual carriage, you mean, or the, the actual, the, 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 the ramps? Yeah, well, the no, they came because of congestion. Wow. Uh, because okay. the existing interchange 29 just couldn't cope with it. Mm-hmm. And anybody who was involved in the initial scheme would have told them that. And that's why, if you look at the highway plan, there are two huge flyovers built in exactly built the location of where, where they came later. Now, they didn't open until August 1993. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were designed by Scott Wilson and built mm-hmm. by Balfour so there's that connection again design you know, and build yeah, design yeah. and build uh, the first design and build on the motorway system in Strathclyde okay um, mm-hmm. as well just to give it a no, that, that that's just for, from from the point of view of people who maybe don't know much about engineering contracts and, and contract law that was just a type of contract mm-hmm. um, that was new at the time and it was the first time it was used in Scotland basically it put design um, 
the ownership for the design onto the winning contractor. Yeah. You know, they had to come up with an economic design, and the, the theory behind that was trying to keep costs down. So that's basically mm. what that was. And we've got the two viaducts there, which are impressive structures. Very big. In fact, yeah. they, I wonder how long they are compared to White Cat. We can add that to a list of things <laughs> to debate. <laughs> so that provides a direct connection to the A737. You'll often hear this road between there and Linwood as the Linklife Spur. That Linklife Spur from, you know, Linwood to St. James was actually built uh, around about the same time as the Renfrew Bypass. I, That's I right, yeah. It opened later in 1968, towards November 1968. Yeah. Again, uh, there were some advanced contracts as well. The bridge mm-hmm. over the railway that still exists now only takes the northbound carriageway mm-hmm. of the, the slip road coming off the, the flyover. Yeah, so you that, can that see that where the advanced, other road yeah. was. Yeah. Uh, and then the connection down to Linklive, which was specifically for the Roots Motor Factory yeah. at Linwood. Um, mm-hmm. That was why that was pushed. It wasn't extended southwards uh, to meet the A737 until 1992. 93? I think it's 93. 93 as well. But we'll talk about, I mean, the A73, I know you don't like the A737, but we will cover it in (laughs) another route, so... That's me named in shame. (laughs) A lot of people suffer at that road. So, okay. Um, And then uh, the last part of this route, it really continues rurally, doesn't it? Now, the Renfrew Bypass did just end at a terminus. That's right. In Overbridge, a junction called South Bar. Yep. Uh, This is just prior to the junction with the Erskine Bridge. Yes. Uh, You will notice at the moment there is a lot of work going on here this junction they're reopening it yeah so we're going to have a kind of half dumbbell type interchange there with uh, i believe it's east facing slips only so this is providing that junction again to bishopton yes. so this junction originally was there uh, when the road opened and we don't know when it closed it's one of the great mysteries we have here in the archive yeah it's something that's driven us crazy i suppose over the years and that a lot of the maps are incorrect they don't actually show what was going on in the ground mm-hmm. so if anybody's listening was old enough to remember Mm-hmm. when that motorway terminated there. It had it a loop extended. on it. Yeah. You, know, you could get from the A8 on to the M8 heading eastbound yeah. via a loop. You'll yeah. get in touch, let us know what it actually looked like because we're desperate for photos or plans That's or something right. that shows the detail there. We've only seen old maps of it. You know, yeah. kind of anecdotes. Either way, this new junction is going to make a massive difference because Bishopton, I mean, Bishopton was bypassed by the motorway, hence the title Bishopton but no Bypass. Connection. But there was no connection to it because I guess it wasn't considered important enough, perhaps, at that mm. time to, to warn Important enough to name the bypass after. That's it, right, yeah. yeah. The Royal Ordnance Factory is something that's now long shut down, but the reason for this new junction is for the big developments, yeah. uh, Dargaville Village, which yes. is going on on the grounds of the old Royal Ordnance Factory. Indeed. So BAE Systems are paying for this junction as part of the kind of planning agreement for all these new houses. Yeah, I think it's definitely necessary for anybody who leaves the motorway um, just south of Erskine Bridge and tries to get to Bishopton. It's not easy. It's a circuitous route. Yeah. You know, you're kind of going round and so on. So this will, you know, save some time. Good. Well, that's never a bad thing. So so from there then, we, well, we know that that section opened um, uh, or it was extended west from there on the 27th of December, 1970. Mm. So we're now no longer Renfrew Bypass. We're nope. now talking about Bishopton Bypass, Bishopton Bypass. which is in two stages, yep. uh, Bishopton Bypass. So carry on. Well, Bishopton Bypass <laughs> Stage 1 um, came as part of the south approach roads to the Erskine Bridge. Mm-hmm. That extended the M8 as far as the bridge. Yep. And at that point, they could have easily have said, well, the M8's not going to go any further or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. We've got the connection to the bridge. So that was the point for that. Bishopton Bypass Stage 2 was approved and was supposed to come quickly after. But because mm-hmm. of this agreement, so I believe, with the Clyde Port Authority about the exact line on the foreshore yeah. um, as it approaches West Ferry, yes. it held it up a few years. Oh, um, okay. And that's why it didn't actually open in the end up until 1975. But so it wasn't supposed to be so late. Mm-hmm. behind the first stage yeah 
because uh, you know back between that you just went to the Erskine Bridge and the Erskine Bridge didn't actually open until 71 you know so you were already coming off at the Toll Plaza Institute yeah that's right that. now this section the Bishopton Bypass both stages uh, designed by Freeman Fox and Partners who also designed the Erskine Bridge yeah. uh, stage 1 was built by Watlings a mm-hmm. famous contractor who built several Glasgow motorway contracts yep. Charing Cross uh, Monkland Motorway Stage 2 yep. uh, one or two others a few in the east as well and the east yep and mm-hmm. Stage 2 was built by Tarmac Mm-hmm. which then became Carillion, and mm-hmm. obviously now, mm-hmm. as we know, no longer exists. So, yeah, mm-hmm. Tarmac had a, few, had a few schemes in Glasgow as well. Yep. M77, um, M74, Hamilton Bypass, uh, yep. there's a few. There's a few. So these, these yep. same contractors were all talking about from one end of the work. country to the other, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, well, I mean... Bishopton Bypass, John, just cutting in. Just Would you say in. that's the quietest part of the M8, the entire M8? Yeah. That's shit of a doubt. I mean, I, I, this is a place close to where I live. Um, actually, it's quite funny, but my house is actually very close to it. Um, the section that goes down the hill, we're talking about Bishopton Bypass Stage 2, so between Junction 30, which is Craigton, all the way down to Junction 31, well, which is Yeah, yeah that's a point. We should clarify that for, for people. Stage 1 was very small, was very short. It only it was, went from the Renfrew Road. Yeah, the A8. A8. Yeah. It's actually Greenock Road. Greenock Road, sorry. Greenock Road, Round to the, uh, the south side of the bridge. Yes. So it was only maybe about, what, With three quarters of a mile? Yeah, which is now part of the M898. That's right, yeah. You know? And then the stage two was the longer section. It took it from there um, all the way to the A8 at West Ferry. Mm-hmm. And then new sections at A8 were built west there, but that's for another time. Another route for looking at the clock and trying yeah. to get through it. No, absolutely. It is a very quiet section, but it's also a beautiful section. So it is very. The, the scenery stunning. You come around the bend after the Erskine Bridge Junction, and it just opens up. It's you can see up. the entire estuary. You can see the Firth of Clyde. You can see Helmsborough. You can see the Barton, the Barton Rock. You can see, you see into the, the hills in the distance. Absolutely stunning. Yeah. Going westbound on a nice clear day. It and is. It, yeah, if you're lucky, you still see some ships going up stream. Yeah. As well, that makes for a for a good view. It's always it's worth uh, you know stopping because let's be honest, there's a bit of road. It's yeah. actually quite. Um, it's quiet. It's quiet. I've, uh, we've 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 debated, haven't we, Stuart, in the car about you could probably have that road as a single carriageway. It yeah, would yeah. Work. Shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> there weren't any bus lanes be going. Turning on. it into bus lanes and cycle lanes. Now. <laughs> but yeah, that you know you've got a point. It's quiet, but it's it's fairly uninteresting. Other than the scenery that you can the see, scenery. the road itself, two lane motorway, very Dual rural in lane. nature. Probably has more in common with the M8 east of Newhouse than it does yeah. with the M8 to the east. Of, you There's know, no chance it's going to be widened, which means no. my garage will be spared. <laughs> so <laughs> no compulsory purchase uh, compensation for you. No, exactly. Yeah. So that that's that. I I don't know much else to say about the uh, this this section, and I think that probably wraps it up. I think so. I mean, there are one or two features of the whole the whole thing. I mean, it sounds good now. You you can now easily travel from mm-hmm. Greenock to Glasgow. You yeah. you take yourself back even to 1970. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you had a good bit of Renfrew bypass in the middle, but you were having to go via the old rural A8 mm-hmm. up through Bishopton. Yeah. Um, you were then chucked back onto Paisley Road West, and you were crawling along Paisley Road West all the way to Tradeston to get yeah. onto the Kingston Bridge at the dome. Then you would get chucked off the Kingston Bridge at the north side of Anderston, have to go via the city streets before you would get to the town head section, and then you were back on the A8 yeah. parade. You know, must have been an interesting time. Yeah, you know, taking these you know, routes very quickly. All these schemes all came and opened, and must have made a huge difference to travel from west to east. Yeah, must have done. Yeah, and we've only just completed the M8 a couple of years ago, haven't we? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At, at Coatbridge. Yeah. So, so. Uh, 
Well, hopefully we've covered everything on that for Absolutely. people. If there's questions or whatever that comes up, you know, let us know. And please, please remember, we do have a website and it is a stunning resource. It has so much information yeah. on all of these schemes. Always being Renfrew Bypass, Renfrew Motorway and Bishopton Bypass. And let's not forget, the Renfrew Bypass opened as M8. It was never A8M, despite no. what you might read online. Mm-hmm. Do not believe it. Okay, that's, that's all I'm going to say in the matter. Oh, it's going to be awkward when we get him on as a guest. That's so <laughs> fine. Right, okay. Um, one last appeal is about this junction, the old western terminus at yes. South Bar at Greenock Road. If anybody has any information about that, please get in touch. It would be fantastic. Yes, indeed. So, there we go. What's next, Stuart? It's questions, isn't it? No, 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 no. Oh, no. Jumping onto questions, you've missed my... From the archive section. We nearly got away with it there. No, it's fine. So, yeah, no, you're quite right. It's from the archive (laughs) section. So, um, I've not said anything about this. So, what what have you got for us this week? Right. Well, the whole purpose of this from the archive feature, as we discussed a couple of podcasts ago, is is to bring the listeners details on items that we have that would be basically impossible to digitize or digitize in a, in a, a way that would really put, you know, give it any real benefit. So, this month, Mm-hmm. What I have chosen is the corporation of the city of Glasgow opening of the north and west flanks of the inner ring road. Now, oh, this is a okay. commemorative M8 booklet mm-hmm. published for the opening of the Charing Cross section of mm-hmm. the M8 in February 1972. Yeah. Now, this is a very special copy that we have because it's leather bound and red. Yeah. It's red, and it's it's it's. It was the, the type of booklet that was handed out to dignitaries at the, the opening event or who were invited to the event. So as with a lot of these fancy booklets that we have, when you open the first page, there's always a section that's been cut out. And that's because that's where their luncheon invitation was. Uh, you know, right. we invite you to luncheon after the mo- the opening ceremony, luncheon. blah, blah, blah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that, that's been cut out. And then we're presented with a stunning illustration, this hand-drawn illustration of Charing Cross as it comes round the bend yeah. from St George's Cross. It's absolutely stunning. It's Glasgow and a ring road north and west flanks and it has the entire north and west flank route on it with mm-hmm. the Charing Cross section highlighted. Now we have to say thanks to Malcolm Monroe mm-hmm. who worked at Holford and Partners um, in the, the days when the motorways were being designed and he passed a copy of this to us a few years ago and we believe that his copy actually um, had been given to one of the senior partners at Holford's at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we will very carefully preserve this in the archive. It's something that we obviously Put it back have. in the air-free yeah, case. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and it's, it's as is typical with this. Now, what I'm intending with, with some of these from the archive features, we mentioned the last time that we have a blog uh, and podcast page coming up on the website. And my intention is that what I'll do is I'll get some images from some of these documents and I'll put them up there so that after you've listened, you can then click on the page and you can actually see for yourself the document that we're talking about with one or two photos and all mm-hmm. uh, You know, so it's a it's a stunning, stunning document. Um, the, the section of road was opened by Gordon Campbell, who was the, the Secretary of State for Scotland at that time. That was under Ted Heath, the Tory government at that time. Yeah. Um, and it was the last section of the, of the inner ring road to open. I'm just looking over the microphone here into the booklet and I can see it's got this hallmark of these classic 
opening booklets of the time with all the pictures of several dignitaries. That's and right. Just, yeah, people, yeah which you don't really see now. You know, you don't but, really know, and you always get the list of the councillors who were involved yeah. in the various highways committees and the planning committees and all that sort of thing. Mm. I mean, here we have the special subcommittee on the highway plan. You know, so that was so important to the city that the councillors had their own subcommittee from the highways yeah. to discuss it and aspects of it. One of the members, incidentally, of the uh, the highway committee at this time is G. Vincent Cable. Uh, Vince Cable, oh, uh, leader of the Liberal Democrats, yeah, yep. um, and then and, and he had some. He has to take some responsibility for some of the schemes being scaled back. Yeah. So thank you for that, Mr. Cable. Um, if you're, if you're <laughs> Sorry, listening. Lib Dem. <laughs> sure, he done it for the best reasons. I'm sure he did. Eh? He was a yeah. councillor in Glasgow West End at that point, and I believe yep. he was lecturing at Glasgow Uni at the time. Mm -hmm. Well, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, so the, yeah, the book, as as is the case with a lot of these books, it has some wonderful photos taken of the various schemes just roughly, you know, before it opens. Yeah. So we've got a really good view of Charing Cross underpass just being finalised. Mm -hmm. There's a good view through the canyon of it being built. It mm -hmm. tells you all about the planning and the layout, the retaining walls and the bridges and the. The, the, the amount of work that went into it. There's a couple of aerial views as well. Oh, some some of it in colour, some of it in black yeah, and white. Yeah, it? it tells you about all the companies who were involved in supplying materials and, and labour and things um, yeah. as well to that. It also talks about property acquisition and accommodation costs. It says here, major properties acquired for the contract included the Grand Hotel, yeah. Elders Furniture Showrooms, uh -huh. the St Andrews Ambulance Building and the Charing Cross Station Booking Office. Uh, prior to the contract, the ambulance depot was relocated to Cowcaddens, which is where mm -hmm. it is now. Yeah. And the new railway station building was constructed as part of the Charing Cross development, which is where it is now, yeah. right at the bottom of the what's now the Premier Inn Hotel. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so that was all, it's all pretty good. Yeah. Um, the the contract cost um, over ten million pounds. I think it was the most expensive of the Ring Road contracts, actually. Mm -hmm. Oh no, sorry, no, Kingston was the most expensive. It was. The, I was going to just yeah, say, sorry. where's the cost for Kingston? Yeah, Kingston was about. Kingston was all. Eighteen million, yeah, and I think this was eleven million. Uh, you know, so it was the sort of the most expensive of the normal contracts. Kingston yeah. was obviously a special case. Seventy-five uh, mm percent -hmm. grant for the construction came from the Scottish Development Department, and mm -hmm. the Glasgow Corporation paid twenty-five percent. Yeah, so they paid the you know they paid a fair amount of money for it. Mm -hmm. um, the the main designer was Fairhurst in that section as well. Yeah. And it was built by Watlings, as we mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a wonderful book because it's because it was published at the time with that first section of Ring Road or the first half of the Ring Road was yeah. completed it gives you a bit of an overview of the Kingston Bridge mm -hmm. uh, the Woodside section and also of Townhead yeah. you know so yeah just flicking through some it's an absolute pictures. gem I remember Photos when when you laid hands on this actually. oh yes it was good I, I, kind of for a bit of a wider discussion about opening booklets here we've got lots of them for older schemes yeah. you don't see many for newer things can, do you can I just <laughs> can I just throw a statement in here just for the benefit of our our listeners who maybe don't love urban motorways as much as us. Okay. okay. Because it's a statement that you just wouldn't <laughs> see published anywhere. Right, now, okay. I'm, I'm going to read it. <laughs> I'm just going to read it as it is in the book. These are not my words. These are the words of the book. Okay. All right. So it says, this is the urban motorway and the environment. Okay. <laughs> Consideration requires to be given to a broad planning strategy, which can be formulated and implemented to match the motorway construction programme. If the opportunity is taken and with imaginative skill in the planning stage, a motorway can enhance the urban form. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it says here. It can enhance the mm -hmm. urban form. Now, in Glasgow's case, they involved architects. Yeah. And in some locations, it probably did enhance yeah. the urban form when you compare it with what was what there was before. Else? Exactly. So, again, yeah. it's all about hindsight and putting yourself in the context. I of wonder the what else they time. mean. Is it about using some of these spaces underneath the viaducts? 
Yeah, I think so. It says, it says here as well, there are two aspects of a motorway route in urban in an urban setting. Mm-hmm. Um, it says, it's affecting the environment of the area through which it passes as seen by the pedestrian. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're thinking about pedestrians, they do. Um, and its appearance and relationship to the general urban structure as seen by the motorway driver. Ah, right, you know? I see. So, so we're considering all of that. So is this well. the kind of thing where they say it is the perfect platform to enjoy lovely vistas of the city? That's right, yeah. yeah. And clear, and again, people often criticise Charing Cross because of pedestrian movements and things, which a lot of people have come back and said, no, no, I walk there every day and I have no problem. Funnily enough, there is a comment in here about pedestrian and vehicular segregation is clearly required due to the heavy traffic conditions which will be experienced in the future development in this section of the city. Quite apart from the obvious desirability of fulfilling the principles of good design, pedestrians should not traverse the Charing Cross intersection at street level. And that's why the, the footbridge was provided in various mm-hmm. other walkways as well. Yeah. You know, so these things were these things were all considered. Mm-hmm. And I actually posted on social media, I was doing some research for this podcast and I was going through <laughs> some of the records that we have. And they considered everything in great detail. Yeah. And I came across this drawing. It's been years since I looked through that. They were actually telling us of the best locations to put the new bins in the street. around about Charing Cross so that was the level of detail that was involved in these highway proposals they weren't just building a road they were thinking about how it was going to fit in with the city location you know and that's what's so different now you know this was joined up thinking and planning and it was also designed by people who who were from I mean John that's right John Colin grew up only a quarter of a mile you know it's close to his heart you know exactly you know so yeah these things are important but anyway that, that covers the booklet um, it's it's worth a look. I will get some photos. I was going to uh, say it, it's. I mean, we we're talking about it here, and you've, yeah. you've you've cited some great passages from it. But sharing some of that on social media for people to see would be fantastic. It's yeah. not something we can. We can't scan can't this really for scan. obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can understand why we wouldn't want to do any damage to it or whatever. Yeah. No. No. Absolutely. So, um, opening books. What's happened to them? Do you think Aberdeen Bypass has got a lovely uh, leather-bound booklet that's come out with it? There's probably more time spent discussing the politicians. I would imagine actually the project itself. <laughs> Is that a controversial thing to say? Probably, Maybe. but that's Possibly. what editing's for. <laughs> so, um, yeah, opening book was maybe a bit of a thing of the past. We might get a glossy pamphlet uh, every quarter, or things will be on the website. But yeah, I, I love I love yeah. souvenir so things. Do I. I really do. Yeah, I really do. We've got some really good ones for the Glasgow system. Yeah, absolutely. So. Well, I think, Stuart, um, with you closing the book there, I think that's an indication that it's the end of the yes. from the archive section, so we'll look something else out for next time. I Definitely, I have one or two ideas. Good stuff. Right, and now it's questions. Oh, my favourite <laughs> My favourite point of the podcast. So, uh, it's the usual here, Stuart. I'll read them out. I'll set them up. You knock them down. Happy I'll with that? Try my best. <laughs> okay. Um, so... First question is from Jonathan Towers. Mm-hmm. Jonathan asks, how much use was made of undercarriageway heating as part of the project and how important or effective is it for keeping things moving in cold weather? The obvious answer is it's very effective for keeping things moving in cold weather because you can't get ice or snow forming in the no. carriageway. So that answers that part of it nice and easily. Okay. Um, it was utilised um, certainly on many parts of the ring road. It was used on the Hamilton bypass of the M74. Yeah. Out with or outside of these contracts, I'm not sure how extensively it was used or otherwise. Some of the ramps had it. Yeah. I know around Kingston and stuff like that, but it didn't really get used. I don't or think did it so. Burn itself out. Yeah, we've had we've had we've heard that story before that yep. the system burned itself out. It was just it, 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 I think the technology just came too early. How does it work, Stuart? It's basically just wire mesh. 
uh, a couple inches below the carriageway level uh, mm-hmm. that an impressed uh, current or voltage or whatever was put through uh, that heated the wire and that then kept the road warm and so ice couldn't Isn't slam that it. Very energy intensive. And you... It would have been then. Yeah, yeah, it would have been then. I would imagine maybe nowadays maybe we would have maybe a slightly we'd have better little wind, wind farms along yeah. the side of it which would <laughs> yeah. power it. But certainly then it must have been a, a draw on on energy. It yeah. really must have been. But then that said, it would have been effective as well. It's something the Scandi- Scandinavian countries tend to go in for it. Yeah. Uh, they've got a big thing there for obvious well, reasons see, with the weather. It's got a good thing as well because it saves you from salting these structures. That's and, true. And salt water is really yeah. bad for concrete and steel. Yeah. You know, so from a maintenance point of view, actually, an under surface uh, heating system, under road heating system, would be a pretty good idea. So great for structures, not so good for car washes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone knows yes, what time of year your car absolutely. gets so dirty. You're right. You're very right. So hopefully that answers that one. Yeah. Uh, if we come across any other evidence... It's actually... Evidence. We do get asked it from time to time, we but we don't seem to have a conclusive answer no. for it. Yes, it was put in in places. It wasn't that effective because, well, it would have been potentially, but mm-hmm. it didn't It didn't seem to work. Yeah. Burnt yeah. out in the end, difficult to maintain. Indeed. So, there we go. Right, next question from Tom Morrison. Um, so, this one's come through on Facebook. Yep. Uh, what is the size of the rainwater drain that runs from Charing Cross to the river? No, I had to do some research on this. So this is a motorway storm drain. Yes. So what the gullies go into. Because there was a yep. yeah, and there was a huge drainage system constructed for the new motorway system and to allow the, the existing surface streets to tie into that. Yeah. So for Tom's benefit, um, what I found was a passage in one of the Kingston Bridge booklets that mm-hmm. talks about it. Now most of the drainage for the Charing Cross section was built as part of the Kingston contract. Yeah. It came as an advance contract to that. Um, you might be amazed to know that the sewer, just for the motorways, is six feet in diameter. 1.83 metres. It is huge. So we could stand up comfortably in that. Easily stand up in that and walk through that. That is just for motorway drainage. Now, draining into this, I managed to find there are several three feet diameter pipes mm-hmm. that run either beneath the central reserve yep. or beneath the hard shoulder, mm-hmm. just alongside the retaining walls. Yep. And these three pipes all converge and eventually go into this huge sewer that then runs to the Clyde. It was built at a cost of four hundred thousand pounds. Mm-hmm. Then just this. So yeah, it's a it's an extensive um, drainage system mm-hmm. that's there. And it outlines how important drainage is when constructing highways, that's right. constructing roads. It's actually something people don't really think about. You know, uh, but yeah. it's one of the the first things that actually goes in with a road. It's very important because without it, you're essentially creating a river. And yeah. if you the, th- the case with Charing Cross is you're actually digging down, yeah, you know, and sometimes you're going below water tables, yep. as well. And you've got groundwater, yeah, uh, places particularly at Newbridge, also at Wraith Interchange. Yep. They've actually got pumps, yep. to keep the water out. Well, thankfully that wasn't required at Charing Cross no. because the height's slightly higher than at the river, the so the, the, it was basically just gravity that takes the water away there to the river. Mm-hmm. But looking through the drawings last night, there's, there's literally there's maybe about a hundred drainage drawings just for Charing Cross. Yeah, it's an extensive system of drains so, and all the manholes and catch pits and whatever if else. we come forward to today why yep. is there still flooding issues there that, that, that must come down to maintenance issues mm. or a fault or a fault you know yep it's a, it's a lack of maintenance resulting in a it's fault certainly a investigation lot of things, obviously required there there shouldn't be flooding there not with a six foot diameter yeah. storm sewer no way we got to remember how old some of these systems are and it also gives let's let's give uh, let's give our maintenance contractors a little bit of credit 
it is a thing you do have to look after, and as things mm. get older, it becomes much harder to Indeed. maintain. Absolutely. You know? uh, oh, by the way, I also found out that on the Charing Cross uh, Tunnel, on the underpass, uh, on the roof of it, there's a, a pretty intricate filter drainage system, oh, as right. well in the landscaped area. There's about five or six different filter drains that all converge in one manhole, which then drains down through through the uh, the tunnel wall and down into the, the, the sewer that they built beneath I did not the know. Well, neither did I until I looked at the detail <laughs> so last night. Yeah, so yeah, it's all there. It's all very intricate. So Tom, I really hope that answers your question yeah. um, and, and hopefully provides some... some I, I'm scared to know why you were asking that. I may have no, an no. idea, but uh, hopefully it's useful. I love a drainage question, so keep <laughs> on coming. Uh, okay, the third question we got here is from Duncan McKnight from Facebook. Hello, Duncan. Hello, yes. Yes, I've missed you. <laughs> uh, I don't know, question for me in a while. Uh, so, in the Glasgow Archive film, what are the purpose of the dotted white lines at the town head end? <gasps> that would have been a great question for Bryn. Yeah, great. You know, you're a month <laughs> too late there, Duncan. <laughs> no, no, it's it's actually something that's come up a few times before. Is he talking about the bot dots? Bot dots. Bot yes. dots. Yes. What are bot dots? Bot dots are dots mm-hmm. hammered into the carriageway yeah. in, in, in place of white lines. So when you say hammered into the carriageway, are these thermoplastic? I the same as I think. I so. mean, I've not seen any modern iterations maybe they were, of these. Maybe they were metal, possibly um, cord then. Yeah, I, I remember seeing these in the films. But I've never actually seen any in yeah. real life. Apparently, it's American practice, isn't it? Yeah, and it's probably been John Cullen or someone who worked in America that brought it over and thought, oh, why don't we use this it's marking system? Possibly, and I have heard it's it's more high wear. You know, it's got more durability. Oh, it will have likely, because, yeah. as you say, it's a kind of milled in system. Yeah, yeah. You know? I suppose again, it comes down to the fact there was probably no lining standards for urban motorways in Britain at that yeah. time. So these guys were able to propose things and have them adopted. That's right, and now, it's narrower through. That's right, uh, through through Townhead. Um. Now, I was going to say that it didn't last beyond the opening of Woodside Stage 2. However, when you see the video now, and you see it's still in the video, and that's 1974 after the entire ring road has opened. However, we've got a photograph from 1975-ish, taken Mm -hmm. from the footbridge at Junction 16, where there's a a new road markings sign uh, with a triangle on the verge. So I guess it was changed around about 1975, when the rest of the ring road was lined as you would expect it to be. So it was probably just to bring that in. It probably done as part of the Monkland Motorway extension. Yeah. You know, the stage to bring one. That up, yeah. to so you'd continuous uh, lining you know, standards all the way through, probably. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's all we can kind of say about that at the moment. Mm. You know, maybe it's something we could look into because I think we'll get asked about it. John Cullen never knew the, knew knew who was responsible for that. Um, yeah. I did ask him that question many years ago and he he, he personally didn't know who had proposed it. Um, yeah. you know. but it is a question for Bryn it's probably something we should we should maybe ask and he can definitely these yeah. things. there definitely. might be other examples so we're on to our last question now uh, it's Robert Jennings hello Robert as well yeah, yeah I was going to say Robert's asked us a few he's questions he's been with us for a long time now so Robert Robert? Yeah. Robert has quite a long question here I'm just looking at this so I'll do my best yes so Robert says I've read that the Erskine Bridge if required could convert the cycle lanes into running lanes if this is right how would this work with the roads it connects to? Would yeah. it be an extra running lane just on the bridge, or would the interconnections with the eighty-two M eight nine eight have to be changed as well? Let me uh, let me just answer that one first. Then I suppose we've we've read in technical papers and in the video of the film for Erskine Bridge the opening um, mm-hmm. that the cycleway was designed to be converted yeah. to a running lane on, in the future. Unlike Fourth, 
It's not something that's on like an outrigger. No. It's part of the structure. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it could have been converted, or possibly still could be converted, um, to a running lane. A traffic flows over the bridge. I've just never justified you'll, you'll it. Never, you'll never see that. No. Uh, unless they somehow build a new city north of there. Exactly. And that's you know. it's not it's very unlikely. Yeah, <laughs> it's, so. it's not going to happen. But to answer your question, I suppose, I've never actually considered enough detail about whether how that would tie in at the end. You've got the room south. Mm-hmm. Um, to to do something there around the old toll plaza north Dalnotta actually happens very very quickly yeah. uh, when you're heading north that's the the large grade separated junction north of the Erskine Bridge yeah that would have to undergo probably quite uh, some significant remodelling and changes to accommodate something yeah. like that it's typical that in, as is the case with a lot of Scot- Scottish road construction is that the bridge that really needed to have the extra lane on it didn't get provided yeah, with the I capability know. for it and yet the one that was a white elephant for the first 25 years of its life um, you sense know, me glaring at you know, okay. <laughs> um, Stuart's not a fan uh, well he is a fa- he actually is a big fan of the Erskine Bridge but he's very interested in some of the justifications uh, for it at the time yeah and, I mean my god I mean a, bit, a bridge like that built mm-hmm. you know um, a lot of money a considerable expense and then they stick tools on it and yeah. for the first few years nobody uses it I think, because I they think- use the clay tunnel instead well, you know, I, I like to think the routes do different things. Uh, I like, and we, we said this when we were on the telly. We uh, did. With, with, what, what was it, Landwood? Landwood with Dougie uh, And it is the expressway to the Highlands. It the is. The holidays. It is. And it's a good way for people to them to Martinshire. Yeah. They've got that now. They've got that communication with um, Renfrewshire. Good way to get to the airport as well. Yeah, you're right. Do you know something, though? I feel that the Erskine Bridge is going to get quieter. If we get this new crossing between Renfrew and Yoker. People will use that again. That will then take even more local journeys off, because thinking the Erskine will really then just be for your strategic stuff. Yeah, no, you're right. I'd say you're right. um, I'd say so. It's it's there what it is. Yeah. So now there was a second part to Robert's question, um, which he asked about. Get to this. Yeah, about bridges of similar type that that had issues. Mm. Um, There were three bridges designed by Freeman Fox and partners and and various consultants. um, um, At the same time, the Westgate in Melbourne, collapsed during construction, as did the bridge in Milford Haven. Um, there was issues with the way it was constructed. Yeah. Um, some of the steelwork was insufficient to take the loads that were being passed through it when it was being built, and both of those collapsed. Yeah. Um, that led to the medicine committee um, mm. looking into what went wrong, and basically the consultant kind of took the blame in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time it reported the Erskine had opened, it was successfully constructed. There was no issues with Erskine. Mm-hmm. Um, um, however, it did require strengthening within the first few years after yeah. it opened, and there was a lot of work done internally mm-hmm. to ensure that it had the steel work that it really should have to ensure that it was safe. So it's quite safe. Was, yeah, and yeah. that was all done in the years after that. So, yeah, it's, it's all... We will have to discuss... I mean, we have covered Erskine on TV programmes and also, but it's something we should talk about, the bridges yeah. of, of the yeah, Glasgow yeah, yeah. area yeah. one day. Yeah. I think that'd be quite a, quite a good idea. The crossings. And the you crossings. could the Clyde Tunnel, which we spoke about. That's true. <laughs> crossings are a great word. Lovely yeah. and vague, you know. Yeah. So uh, I think that's all we've got on the questions. Which I think it is, John. We're rapidly approaching the end of of, of podcast we, now. Uh, how are we for time? Are we okay? Yeah, I think we're just. I think we don't want to keep people listening for too long, do we? we I know they're nearly at work now. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. so or maybe they're still stuck in the white cart. Who knows? <laughs> um, so um, before I close off, there was something we done recently which I really enjoyed. Uh, mm-hmm. We we delivered a talk 
We did. Uh, to the Institute of Advanced Motors. We did indeed on the south side in Thornley Bank. Yeah. And uh, we thank Steve Byrne for mm-hmm. the invite, the invitation that we had to talk to those guys. It was, uh, it was very enjoyable. It was a very um, engaged audience. Absolutely. Uh, we had some really, really good questions. I think everyone enjoyed it. Yeah. They're talking about maybe having us back at some point. Uh-huh. Uh, we do enjoy giving our presentations and things. So if you are interested, drop us an email. We're always yep. happy to come and do talks or whatever. And we have one or two planned. Mm-hmm. for the coming months uh, so you know let us know if you're interested we're happy yeah, to come and see you absolutely it was, it was actually my my first experience of doing something like that with the archive and I really enjoyed mm-hmm. it yeah so absolutely you know. really fun uh, what else is happening on the, the website on well, the, the archive front we will try and get this much promised blog and podcast page live I'm working on that the site yep. is now 100% secure uh, not that it was ever insecure no um, a lot of work behind the scenes yeah I've been doing a bit of work to, to change the security certificate and the like so you might have noticed probably not that we're now HTTPS rather than HTTP mm-hmm. when you log in so it just gives you some additional security when you're browsing the website and, and whatnot. not that there's ever any issues or anything like that on there anyway but it just gives people some added uh, protection and it, it helps our Google stats as well it moves us up the rankings on Google yeah. and that's an important thing for us in terms of spreading the word and getting the knowledge of the website out there because it is a wonderful resource and again for anybody who doesn't know the address it's glasgows-motorways.org.uk .org yeah. .org yes yeah, so. and of course so, if anybody has an email or anything they want to, to get in touch with us with it's admin at glasgows-motorways.org.uk absolutely or .co.uk whichever one you prefer either works now so you can, you can get in touch good stuff and for our regular podcast listeners or if you're new here thank you for, for listening and please give us some feedback on the podcast if you say look guys uh, I love that podcast but maybe next time do this or you know could you maybe change it up and maybe discuss it suggest topics to oh, us oh yeah I would actually like to do a podcast that's completely dictated to by yeah. the listeners I think that would be quite I wonder if people would be interested in a live podcast yes a live broadcast where the questions could be coming in just, just as we're live. sitting in front of the screen you know, so we could be broadcasting live over Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Yeah. People are submitting the questions as we're talking, and we could have them appear on the screen. Yeah, you know, we exactly. can answer them there and then, so that might work. You'll see us raw doing it then. Yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. No, oh, no, brilliant. Anything else from you, Stuart? No, nothing from me, just that we'll be back next month. Um, we will keep this a regular feature. Yeah. Um, we'll keep it going, and I look forward to speaking to you again very shortly. Yeah, okay, thank you very much, and thanks for listening. Thank you, bye. Bye. Bye.